Amen. Amen, amen. When, right after college, I moved to Buffalo, New York, as some of you may know, in order to do um, some work in different churches in that area, as well as some ministry in the city itself. Uh, and so it was a brand new place to me. I'd never lived in this city before. And, and while Buffalo is much smaller and less complicated than Philadelphia, uh, still, as someone fresh out of college getting my bearings, it was hard to exactly know where I was supposed to go and how to get there. And a lot of my ministry didn't just happen in the city, but happened in the surrounding suburbs as well. And so I was finding myself driving all over Western New York and getting lost a lot of the time. Thankfully, someone loaned me their GPS. And now this was a long time ago when the GPS wasn't just on your phone, but it was one of those like big Garmin things. And you had the suction cup that you stuck to your, your dashboard like that. You know what I'm talking about. And so I had that, and it was my companion all around Western New York as I figured out where to go and when. And, and one day, I was driving along on a very busy street, and, and there was some complicated stuff going on, multiple lanes, and I wasn't exactly sure where I needed to go last. And wouldn't you know that that was the exact moment when the suction cup gave out and the GPS fell on the floor. And now I tried to reach down, but I couldn't, you know, keep my eyes on the road. And, reach. and so I tried to just listen for the voice because it was one of those speaking deep. But it was very hard to hear exactly what was being said. So, so I took my best guess. I thought they said Vero left. And, and so I started to go to the left. And, and then the GPS said that famous word. You know what's coming. Recalculating. And I love how the programmers have, have, have made all GPSs in such a way that you can hear the exasperation programmed into that digital voice. You can hear the digital voice rolling their eyes as she says, recalculating. So my GPS says that, and I eventually find a place to pull over and, and put the suction cup back on the dashboard and hear it well, and then try and figure out where to go next. And the, the GPS wasn't clear at that point in time exactly where I was supposed to go, so I just started driving, and that's when it said those other famous words, make a legal U-turn. Yes. You see, I had, to, I had to go back. There was no way to go, keep going forward. I was lost enough that I just had to turn all the way around and, and go back the way I came in order to get on the right path again. Now you see where this is going. I want to talk with us this morning about the spiritual equivalent of this. Because there are times in our walk of faith where we just need to turn around. Where we've gotten so lost that the only thing left to do is to make a legal U-turn. <laughs> retrace your steps and try and get on the right path again. Specifically, we're going to be talking about our way of thinking. Jesus has some interesting things to say in our gospel passage this morning about how people can get on the wrong path in terms of just how they think about God. We will be looking at Luke chapter 13, verse 1 through 9, and I've titled this sermon, It's Not Dependent on Your Goodness. Please pray with me. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. All right, open your Bibles up with me to Luke chapter 13, verse 1 through 9. 
And I invite you to stand as we read this gospel passage. We stand out of respect for these words, out of uh, a sense of faith in the fact that Jesus is present and walking amongst us as these words are read. So we are turning to Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Listen to the word of the Lord with me now. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So the man said to the gardener, See, here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And he replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year. Until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now, he was teaching. We're going to stop right there. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Friends, this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Got too excited there. Too excited. So in this gospel reading... Jesus is addressing two specific tragedies. Two tragedies that have happened in the Jewish world at that time that everyone would have been well aware of. These are flashpoint events, moments in their life that everyone is talking about, everyone is trying to make sense of. The, the first one that Jesus mentions is, is Pilate who's, or Herod who's mixed the blood of the Galileans with the sacrifices. And now this might seem strange and like something we can't fully understand, but keep in mind that this would have been an incredible sacrilege to the Jewish people. Some, this, is, this, is, this is Herod desecrating the sacrifices. And, and what Jesus asks is, do you think that the Galileans must have been very sinful and that's why this horrible event was allowed to take place? No, he says clearly. No. But then Jesus goes on to mention another tragedy that would have been on everyone's mind at that point in time. There's this tower that had fallen down and killed 18 people. An event that no one saw coming, that no one could have predicted. It's not like there was a storm coming through. This tower, just because of structural integrity issues, had fallen down and killed 18 innocent people. And Jesus says, do you think that the 18 who died, died because they were sinful? No, Jesus says. No. You see, we can probably relate to this type of mindset in some ways. We can probably all think of specific tragedies, either in our own life or or in the history of our nation and our country. Things like 9-11 or Pearl Harbor or Columbine or Sandy Hook. These moments that shock us and disturb us and leave us wondering, is this happening because God is trying to punish some sort of sin. But here, clearly, that Jesus says, no, this is not why tragedies happen. No, he says, and then he goes on to say something very strange. 
repent. Now imagine if you came into my office and you were going through some very difficult moment in your life. Pastor, pastor, this tragedy is taking place in my life and I'm wondering if God is trying to punish me. And I just said to you, that's nice, repent. I wouldn't last too long here, would I? (laughs) That wouldn't be very good pastoral care, as they say in the seminary. But the reason that Jesus says this in regards to people asking him about these recent tragedies, the reason Jesus says repent is because he's telling them to turn in the ways that they think about God. Because there's assumption baked into the way they ask the question. Did this tragedy happen because these people were sinful? No, Jesus says, God does not work like that. No, Jesus says, repent of that type of thinking. Repent of these assumptions that we have that tragedy only befalls those who are sinful. We need to repent of it. And the truth is, this is a message for us today because we still see this type of thinking in the world, don't we? Oftentimes, there are some well-meaning Christian figures who will get up after a national tragedy of some sort and claim that is God punishing us in one way or another. But to that, Jesus says, no, and repent. We must stop believing that tragedy comes just to those who are sinful. Because there's also another assumption that can get connected to it. If we start to believe that tragedy only happens when people are bad, then the next logical step in the assumption would be that you need to be good in order to be blessed by God. You need to be good in order to receive God's grace. You need to get everything right if God's going to bless you and forgive you and show you mercy and grace. And to that, Jesus also would say, no, and you need to repent of that type of thinking. We get caught up in the structure of our world, I think, that makes us believe in such a way. In every other area of life, you have to be good in order to earn what is coming to you. You have to get everything right in order to climb the corporate ladder. You've got to get good grades on the test in order to pass the class. This is just the ways of the world. But church, it is not the ways of God. I've talked about this before. We've talked about it many times. There is not some ladder that we must climb up in order to get to God. God always comes down the ladder to be with us. You will never be good enough for God. And thankfully, in God's eyes, that doesn't matter. Now, don't take my word for it. Let's, let's think of some scriptural examples of this as well, shall we? Think with me of everybody's favorite, King David. Bible says that King David was a man after God's own heart. Yes, it does. But may I remind you also that King David was a liar and a cheat in more than one way and a murderer. And when David was confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan, he didn't even recognize how sinful he had been. David didn't even realize his sin when Nathan held it up in a mirror, staring him in the face. And yet... God still showed compassion and mercy for King David. And yet, we still think of King David as a great model of faith. How about another one? The Apostle Paul, or as he was originally called, Saul. Saul was a Pharisee 
a Pharisee who was holding the coats of the others as Stephen was stoned. The disciple Stephen was there and a whole bunch of people wanted to put a stop to this Christian movement that Stephen was talking about. And so Paul, Saul stood by and held their coats so that they could get their arms working a little bit better to throw those stones to kill Stephen. And yet, God took this sinful man and used him to build churches all throughout Europe and the Middle East. God used this man who we still have his letters from in our hands today. And of course, we need to look no further than the story of Jesus to know that Jesus went willingly to the cross. Willingly to the cross in order to die for our sake. For the sins of all the world. Jesus didn't go to the cross because at that point in history, everyone was finally good enough For him to die for our sake, Jesus went to the cross because he needed to die so that we would never be separated from God's love. Jesus made the sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to. These are all examples of the way that fly in the face of what we so often believe. It's not about being good enough that gets you God's grace and mercy. God is simply gracious and merciful. The grace of God isn't dependent on our goodness. And Jesus says that we have to repent of all the ways of thinking that try to tell us otherwise. Turn your minds around. Stop coming to these assumptions. People don't get cancer because they were bad. Mosques are not riddled with bullets because God hates Muslims. Towers don't collapse because of someone's sin. Grace is not reserved for the people who just get everything perfectly right. And Jesus goes on to to tell a parable to try and hammer these points home for us. He goes on to talk about a fig tree. Now here's a fig tree that for three years has not yielded any figs. It's a produce tree that's not producing. And someone is saying, we need to cut it down. This this tree isn't doing what it's supposed to do. Something isn't right, and we need to just get rid of it. But Jesus says that we shouldn't give up. Give it another year. Give it another year. Let's till the soil. Let's put some manure on it. Let's see what happens. And it's a clear message to us that we can't give up on each other. And we can't give up on ourselves. Because Jesus doesn't give up on us. Even if we aren't doing what we're supposed to do. Even if that person isn't doing what you would want them to do. Not bearing fruit like you think they should. You're not bearing fruit like you think you should. We can't give up. Even if you keep falling in the same place again and again. We can't give up. Even if you think you aren't able to make any sort of difference because the problem is just too big, we can't give up. Even if you are weighed down with guilt or shame or grief, we can't give up. Because Jesus won't ever give up on you. I once had, um, very early on in my ministry, I was co-teaching a Bible study with my mentor at the time. And in that Bible study, someone had talked about this analogy for God's grace. 
And they said, God's grace is like a conveyor belt. And on that conveyor belt is grace. And it just keeps coming down the conveyor belt. Just coming down and coming down. And all we have to do is turn towards that conveyor belt and receive God's grace. It's a nice image. But my supervisor is like, actually, actually, I'd like to make one short correction to that. It's not that we have to turn ourselves towards the conveyor belt to receive the grace. The only thing we could ever do to not receive the grace is willingly turn away from it. That's how grace works, church. It is always extended to us. No matter what, no matter if we get it all right, no matter if we get it all wrong, it is always coming down the conveyor belt. And the only thing that could stop that is if we willingly choose not to accept it. It is a gift that God longs to give again and again and again. And so, church, Jesus calls us today to repent. And that can seem scary. That can seem like a really big ask of us, but keep in mind, Jesus calls us to just repent of this way of thinking that the world is constantly pushing us towards. Stop believing that you have to earn your way to God. Stop believing that tragedy just comes to those who are sinful. Repent of these destructive ways of thinking and simply turn back towards the conveyor belt of God's grace. No, Jesus said, the grace of God isn't dependent on your goodness. Don't just chop down the tree because it doesn't bear fruit. Don't give up on yourself or someone else just because things aren't going exactly as planned. Know that the love of Jesus is sufficient for whatever you're battling, for whatever you may have done, for whatever you're facing and struggling with. Know that the love of God doesn't depend on your goodness because the love of God is only about one thing, and that's the goodness of God. Amen.